episode of Hell's Bowels. We know we've been absolute slackers, but we've come out of the spook closet today because it's Halloween and obviously I'm Kat Ellinger and I'm here with my wonderful co-pilot Heather Drain. Hello, hello. We are your Hell's Bells and we are here to bring you guys a very mighty, uh, what we're going to call our cinematic fertility rite for the most yeah. hallowed of, <laughs> of holidays for <laughs> Samhain. And uh, Kat, would you like to tell our, our wonderful listeners what we're going to be uh, delving into tonight? Yeah, I certainly would. Although I will apologise. You know, we are planning on having a monthly house bells from here on in, but we may have to take maternity leave after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it is, uh, we are dealing with some high power <laughs> macho male magic tonight. In fact, you, even some of the men listening might start ovulating. Uh, if they don't, you know, they're not real men. I'm sorry, because, you know, well, I'll explain. So we have nominated, obviously you will see from the name of this episode, our king of Halloween and Samhain for 2019, the great Tom Atkins and yeah. obviously his moustache as well. Oh, my goodness. This man. Oh, he is a man amongst men. And... This genesis of this episode is Kat and I were riding back and forth and Kat, you had mentioned Tom Atkins and I was like, oh my God, I love him. And it's like, wait, he's our king. He's our king of 2019 <laughs> Halloween. Like he's perfect. And, you know, he's a great actor. Um, he has been, of course, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, are big into cult and horror like we are. Uh, so I'm sure the name is familiar to you. If not, the films will be. Yeah, he's in Creepshow, The Night Configuration, and three films that we'll be covering uh, or going into a little bit tonight. Which are The Fog, Halloween 3, and Night of the Creeps, which we think are, well, Heather's called this on our notes, the trilogy of maximum manliness. It really I is. Know. Like, he, <laughs> he, he, he plays what I recall. This is, I know this isn't, I don't know, I like to think of Nietzsche existed in, in, in our time period, he would refer to Tom Atkins as the Ubermensch because he really is the ultimate Oh, he man. totally would, isn't he? He's the ultimate life goal for every man and woman, either oh. to be him or to have him. Yes, to have his Very good in the Christ. Babies. Oh, and... Oh. <laughs> He's good in a crisis as well, as we'll see. But, you know, it had to be Tom. It couldn't be anyone else, really. No, no. And um, and especially, we'll go more into this aspect a little bit later in the episode. But, you know, right now we live in an era where we don't really have a lot of actors that kind of bring that, uh, what I like to refer to as testicular gravitas. And <laughs> Tom, Tom Atkins, he, it. oh God, he brings it. Like he, oh, he is the man. Like there are probably just a whole, just Every town he goes to, women end up pregnant that haven't even had sex. Like, there's just immaculate conception going on everywhere because <laughs> that much testosterone. You cannot say no to it. It's just going to hit you right in the boo-boo. Well, I'm, uh, I've got five children, and I'm a huge fan of Halloween 3, as many people already know. And I've watched that film so many times, and I, and I think there's a definite correlation there. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm a little scared because I don't have human children, so I'm taking, <laughs> I am taking a massive risk doing this episode. This is how much I love Tom Atkins. You all. So you're welcome, Mr. Atkins, <laughs> and you're welcome, <laughs> listeners. And, um, and I guess we can start off with, Kat, what was your first introduction to the, the glory of Tom Atkins? I was at a very young age, actually. It was with the fog. So it, you know... I was in a vulnerable spot when the Tom came to me and kind of fused into my consciousness, never to be forgotten again. Because, you know, the fog, he's on, and we'll go into this, on peak Tom Atkins, really, with his hitchhiker moves. So that was, yeah, it was my, I I can't think how old I was. It, It must have been when it came out on video here. Um, so I'm thinking like, and I wasn't that, I, I think it's the perfect film for like, you know, younger kids and then adults. It's just got that perfect vibe, isn't it? The fog. I think I must've been about eight when that came out, eight or nine. So uh, yeah. And it's perfect. And it's always been a favorite ever since. Oh, how about you? Oh, that's a, a beautiful one. Uh, my entry, and I love you referring to him as the Tom, I'm going to crib that, is um, uh, Night of the Creeps. And I saw that also when I was a kid. Uh, I think I was like in my early teens. I want to say like I was around like 12, 12 or 13. And I saw it on cable, on cable television. And uh, because we're, it's it's luckily in print now, but there was like many, many years where that movie was out of print. And so if you were able to catch it on TV, that was, you know, that was a great thing. And, uh, and I was like, man, this guy, like, who is this like noir, uber manly detective, you know, just hard drinking, cigarette smoking, quipping, just detective magazines everywhere. It's just like, oh my goodness. And, uh, and ever since then, it was, it was love. I just, <laughs> you just pulled me in so much with the details there and I was just away. I mean, this is going to be a challenge this episode. but It's a, a lot of swooning. <laughs> so we have, uh, we have fainting couches on hand, at least metaphorically, not literally, unfortunately. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, like, well, and let's go into, you know, I think you mentioned the fog. I think that's a great start. Yeah, point. let's go straight into the fog. I mean, The Fog just is a Halloween film. To me, it's the one of the perfect. I know it's not set at Halloween. And as much as I love John Carpenter's Halloween, for me, it's always, well, it's always Halloween 3 because I'm just fucking obsessed with that film. Um, but also The Fog is just, to me, is was always my Halloween-y favourite. I think there's just something about it, you know, the maritime legends and the whole atmosphere. The fact that John Carpenter came upon the idea to write The Fog with Deborah Hill because he went to Stonehenge and it was all misty there and he was thinking about, you know, what if something was coming out of the fog? And I just love the whole thing about it. I mean, I think it's just perfect. It's the perfect film for Halloween, because we watch horror films all the fucking time. So to me, like, Halloween has to be something extra special. 
and yeah and that's the thing when you are like a monster kid and you grow up like that it does it's it is those like super special films for halloween because all of us we watch horror films all the time and we always have so yeah what do you pick for that extra special season and i think you nailed it the fog is so beautiful it's so um atmospheric and that exactly music word. the music just when the music kicks in and just oh, it's just uh, one of my favorite things about it is the cinematography uh, by Dean Cundy. It's like, it's such a beautifully shot film. Like every frame, every camera movement is just kind of like dark poetry. It's so, it's a lovely film. And yeah, I mean, I think it is one you could, you could totally share with the kids because it's not really, I mean, I think it's rated R, but there's really, there's no nudity. There's no, I don't think it's even that gory. Like, I think there's more implication uh, I mean, my kids, my kids absolutely loved it as kids. But then, you know, with Tom Atkins probably being their father, that's probably <laughs> why they respond. <laughs> You're like, why do they keep saying daddy? They- <laughs> I just had this like strange. I just had this strange uh, thing pop into my head. Actually, when I was a kid, in the early '80s, we went to see an just an inordinate amount of films with Harrison Ford in them, and. Uh, you know, all the Raiders, the, I mean, he was everywhere anyway in the 80s. The Raiders of Lost Ark, Empire Strikes Back, like all the Star Wars. But literally anything with Harrison Ford. And I found out years later that my mum actually had a massive crush on Harrison Ford. And that's oh. why we were. So I just had this moment, this light bulb moment then, that the two films that I forced on my kids more than any other films were The Fog and Halloween 3. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I, mean, I think that just means you're raising them right. Because yeah, those are both great movies. And, and you know, with The Fog, this is the, you know, because of course Tom Atkins, uh, it's crazy to think this is the same year he was also in The Ninth Configuration. Um, with the fellow uh, Ubermensch, Stacey Keach, <laughs> which I love Stacey Keach. Oh, Keech. yeah. And, um, and that's a great film, but it's two very different films, though. Uh, but I really think this is the first we really get to see of the full Atkins sexual prowess, right? Like, you know, you mentioned, you kind of alluded to, there's the first scene we get with him, he picks up a hitchhiker, and it's Jamie Lee Curtis. Wait. Even his name, Nick Castle. There's just something about that name. It's like the, the dude, isn't it? Oh, Nick my God. Castle, is it? <laughs> man it's of like, action. That is a man of it? action. That's a man that's going to move your couch, pick up some food, and probably impregnate you. That's just Almost definitely. <laughs> Maybe Most not definitely a- all of those things. <laughs> Well, he certainly gets on the case with... So, Jamie Lee Curtis is Elizabeth Solly, who's this kind of hippy-trippy girl who's hitchhiking away across America, and she gets picked up by Tom Atkins, and then the fog erupts, and they get thrown together. But before all this, you know, 10 minutes or a couple of cut scenes later... After she and they don't, she don't, they haven't even introduced themselves. She's in his bed, and it doesn't seem ridiculous at all. No, because it's so <laughs> it's it, well, especially because I love God. This movie's so good. Like the writing, because <clears throat> she 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 asks, she literally asks him, "Are you weird?" And he just kind of like smiles and says, "Oh, I'm weird." <laughs> <laughs> I'm really weird. And she's like, oh, thank God. Like, the last guy was so disgustingly straight. And, <laughs> and you know, any if anybody else 
Like, and you're this vulnerable woman, this young lady, <laughs> at night in some stranger's car, and they say, I'm weird. Any other dude, you're probably like, um, I'm good here. You can let me out, you know? Tom Atkins, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like, you know? <laughs> when I was a teenager, though, I used to hitch all over the place, and I never got picked up remotely by anyone who looked like fucking Tom Atkins. No, that's... I'm good. <laughs> it's usually some like weird bored truck driver or something who just wanted to blather onto you. You know, <laughs> nothing exciting happened whatsoever in my hitchhiking travels. Uh, <laughs> see, that's 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 where film, you know, <clears throat> cinema magic sometimes lies to us. The fog. Cause... Yeah, I was gonna say the fog <clears throat> lied to me. It set me up with a completely <laughs> wrong view on what hitchhiking involved. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and my you know my favorite part is yeah you know, when we see them in bed together and he's like oh by the way what's your name like I already, know I love that <laughs> it's so fucking you know when you think about you know like the whole slasher thing and the whole thing they did with Halloween with this quite puritanical strand where you know. Um, the sensible girl survives, the one who doesn't have sex. It's completely reversed in the fog. So you have a very promiscuous girl and a very promiscuous man, and they have sex almost, you know, quite early on in the film. And then they, they go on to be the heroes, or Elizabeth Solly goes on to be one of the heroes. She's not judged for that. And it's almost like, you know, they're reversing <coughs> Jamie Lee Curtis's role in to compared to the one that she had in Halloween because Jamie Lee Curtis is actually just a very sensuous strikes me as like a very sensuous very sexual person I mean Tony Curtis's daughter for fuck's sake um you know so when you see her in Halloween where she's like very and she's great in that she plays the role really well but I just can't believe that she'd be the sensible one I just can't (laughs) You know, she strikes me as a woman of the world, old I, Jamie Lee. I love, I love that. And actually, that's a really, I think, really astute point. I haven't really seen a lot of people make about the fog as far as, like, the reversal. Um, and that's, yeah. And yeah, she yeah it's does, almost she, like their own fuck you, their own formula, because even by 1980, you know, that whole slasher f- formula was starting to stick. I mean, even to this day. It kind of still it's still there, even though you know various people have tried to do different things with it. I'm trying to avoid talking about Scream because I hate that film, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of it is down to the very very astute writing of Deborah Hill, who I think is just was just a fucking legend. That woman. Oh, she was brilliant. And, you know, that's, she's one of those where if, like, her name's attached to something, it's going to be worth your time, like, automatically. She just, you know, her her name and her talent has that kind of clout. And same thing, actually, with Carpenter, too. Like, I think he's, you know, one of the best auteurs we got out of that period of horror. And, um, you yeah, know. Yeah, I know. I don't want to sound like I was dissing Halloween, because I actually do love Halloween. I'm not a franchise, franchise person, but the original... I just got such an amazing atmosphere. I really, 
just love the whole atmosphere and everything. And, um, you know, but those two together, I mean, this was a difficult one for Deborah Hill because she'd been in a relationship with John Carpenter. They'd split up and then he got involved with Adrian Barbau. And Deborah Hill is basically writing this very strong kind of final girl role. We haven't even mentioned uh, Adrian yet who's the kind of main character, this very strong kick-ass. She's a single mother. She runs a fucking radio station in a lighthouse. You know what I mean? <laughs> writing, you know, John Carpenter's ex is writing this wonderful part for his now current, and I'm not sure even if they kind of split up. I, I wrote about this once, so I should know it, and my memory is terrible, but they, I think it was in recent memory anyway. Um, you know, so it was all quite raw, but she didn't let that get in the way of of her creative process. She didn't let that get in the way, because both of the women in this, Stevie Wayne is Adrian's character, and Elizabeth Solly are really fucking strong women. They no, I've loved absolutely loved the female like all of the females in this film, even like some of the supporting characters, because this film there's really, you know, it's played so smartly, there's not really a stereotypical role. You know, you don't have like a Harridan or, you know, the trollop or you know, because even like with Jamie Lee Curtis, it's just like there's no like you said, there's no judgment, like obviously from no. the film given it's just like, yeah, these are two people. And they fucked up, and you know it's natural, and, uh, and, and so that's how rare for that era is what I'd, I'd, I wouldn't really say the fog was a slasher, but it has elements of a slasher, and it's just so rare to just you know have a very sex positive character like Elizabeth. Yeah, no, she she's great. I love Adrian Barbo so much because she is just she is just like kind of like this Amazon. You know, like oh, in she's everything, great, isn't she? And you know, and plus, even her name, Stevie Wayne, and she's got like this sultry voice. And I, you know, at one point, like she is this little son, and I remember thinking, like, God, if this film had a sequel and he hits puberty, he is gonna hate having a hot mom because, like, you know, all of his buddies <laughs> are gonna be like, "Hey, can we stay stay the night at your house with your hot mom?" And he's like, "Fuck you! <laughs> Don't you talk about my mother like that?" You know. <laughs> I mean, she's absolutely great. She owns her own radio station. She owns this fucking lighthouse. She's bringing up a kid on her own. She's got a Jeep. You know, you've got <laughs> Janet Lee. So Jamie Lee Curtis's real life mum is there. Is she the politician or the mayor? What is she? She's like some civic figure. She's a civic so figure. She, and... So she's like very powerful. And Nancy Loomis, obviously, who's the carpenter favourite, is Sandy, her kind of sarcastic assistant. Uh, I mean, no. they're, they're, those two together are wonderful. I love those two. Uh, me too. And that was, um, and you know, it's funny because, again, like, Janet Lee's character in particular, it would have been the easiest thing just to make her completely unlikable and just like some nanny. And instead, like, she's a little uptight, but she shows a lot of humanity. And it was it was really yeah. cool to see Janet Lee, who's such a great actress, um, get a role like that. Because honestly, I mean, Hollywood is ageist and sexist, and it certainly was then. It still is now. Um, seeing, like, a woman who's considered older to get a role that isn't just, you know, oh, that's dear old grandma, you know, or whatever. <laughs> like, it was nice. And, um, 
And you know, I have to, I do have to talk about before we get too serious. One of my favorite, again, go back to the first sex scene. <laughs> it's not even really a sex scene. You don't really see them. It's very chaste. It's a very chaste scene. It's, st- it's like, still, it's still impactful though because it, it sets down that bar. That if uh, Tom's in the room, <laughs> you know. Well, <laughs> well you, you because you know i think the, the the big revealer even even maybe bigger than the fact that he was able to get her like they were able just to make this magic happen so quickly without knowing each other's name is she has these like photographs that she's selling like these little pieces of art and he offers to buy one because he's a gentleman he's a nice guy and <laughs> as she's like oh no it's free and I'm like, and I literally have in my notes, the dick is that good. <laughs> I love that line. Because she's hitchhiking, you know? I mean, she alludes to having, like, a rich family, but she's obviously trying to just kind of make things on her own. And But it's like, oh, no, it's free for you, honey. And then she sticks around, like, as things are obviously clearly very quickly kind of, mis- you know, you're having mysterious happenings and murders, and there's basically the ghosts of these pirates you know well they're not pirates but, but i love calling them pirates they, think- they're kind of they're spiritual pirates so because when i was a kid i always used to think of it as the creepy pirate film well right. they kind of they've got some like there's the leper colony whole thing they're like they've got the gold and the you know it's piratey i mean i know they're not technically pirate pirates they're pirate-esque yeah yeah I put it in pirate. I used to think they were pirates when I was a kid. I still do, even though like I'm like okay, they're technically lepers. But yeah, there's even the whole gold coin because you know like at one point Stevie's son is you know playing on the beach and he sees a gold coin in the water and goes to grab it and all of a sudden it turns into like this piece of what at first seems like driftwood but is actually uh, the original ship part of their sign. And, Which um, that bit as a kid used to freak me the fuck out. That and the part when she gets his voice, Blake, the head non-pirate pirate, <clears throat> on the tape recorder, it goes all Like when I was a kid, <laughs> I used to deliberately make myself watch that bit because it scared me so much. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think, I don't know if it's like this for other anybody listening, but you know, things that terrified me the most is when I was little was weird audio, things like that. Yeah, too. I, like, I really gets to me. <laughs> like this is embarrassing to admit now, but when I was real little, you know that beginning of Def Leppard's Rock of Ages, where yeah. like like oh, like that, like that <laughs> that freaked me out. Like I thought like it was the devil or something. Like I'm like what? And my mom had that album. Like, so, and I love the song. I was just like, oh, I don't like that evil monk part, you know. <laughs> and now I'm like, that's stupid. Like, what am I so scared of that? It's horrifying. It's, when they do it in the fog, though, it's horrifying because she's playing these um, little jingles. You know, it's blah 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 radio. Blah, 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 blah. And then they say, Give us the call, man. No more like a millstone, a plumbing stone, by God. Damn them all. And I, I, I used to get a special thrill from that. Anything to do with audio changing or paintings being altered, like melting. 
That was another one of my things that used to scare the shit out of me. You know, when you have, like, paintings melting or just, like, that film Ringu, and they look at the photographs and all the photographs are distorted. It's just like... (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) Just really, yeah. (laughs) It's really, truly the the weird little things, I think, that can get get under your skin, you know, especially when you're little. Well, it's um, funny, though. My kids, my own kids were just totally unfazed by things like the fog. I mean, kids today, <laughs> they're so much more sophisticated, I think, so it never really had that same... I mean, they were watching things like Brain Dead and stuff. You know, this was this was like mother's hokey, boring Halloween <laughs> horror. <laughs> Yeah, listen, you respect your father, okay, kids? I mean, no, they like the fog, actually. It was Halloween. (laughs) I'm I'm skipping ahead again. Halloween 3, they thought was a bit silly. I'll talk a bit about that. (laughs) But, yeah, the fog, the fog, yeah, because my son, uh, one of my sons actually was a massive fan of the, you know, the Sinbad films? Yeah. You know, the really old ones with the... Ray Harryhausen oh yeah yeah so that was how I got him because my kids were always quite unless something was really gory you know if it was older than 10 and my son who's 13 now you know getting him to watch something from the 90s I might as well be saying like 90 1900s because it's so old so like you know there has to be an in and I think Sinbad was my into the into the fog but I really miss like you know sitting around when they were little and with all the lights off and everything but then the rebellion started when they got older I mean I don't know kids just don't find that sort of thing scary anymore we had to take what we could get in the 80s though Oh, gosh. Well, especially because, yeah, I mean, I remember, like, bringing, like, going to the video store was an event. Like, just getting to rent a movie was always, like, such a big event and so cool. And, yeah, I mean, we would always kind of make, like, a special treat out of it. Like, you know, you turn out all the lights. And, you know, I was really lucky because my mom's also into horror movies. And so, and so yeah, it's a scary movie. You want all the lights out. And, um but yeah, it's funny because I think when you love horror, though, sometimes it's like there are things I love and loved as a kid that were horror that didn't necessarily scare me, but I just loved the fantastical, I think, elements of it. And yeah, that that's something I think that Carpenter always brings to his his films, and especially here in The Fog. There is such like a beautiful, there's like a beauty to the horror, too. And, there, and there's like the human element, too, when you find out the reason why this is happening and it's like these poor people basically were murdered for money to establish this village and the way that Hal Holbrook who plays the priest who's basically kind of like our character as a device to let us know the the backstory of it and Hal Holbrook's so good um oh he's such a he's such a like cowardly kind of you know (laughs) this gold big gold cross and his like little diaries and so he's great (laughs) It's little. T- <laughs> it's religious um, it's, guilt just steaming out of him, and he's just like, <laughs> "Oh, he's so good." And it's and I think he brings a really good dynamic. So I read online that, and who knows? Obviously, your mileage may vary. That Christopher Lee originally was wanted for that role. Um, which honestly, I don't putting Christopher Lee and Tom Atkins in a mm, film together is no. way too much for my hormones. That would okay? no, I don't think that would have worked. You uh, needed no. somebody you didn't. You know, Christopher Lee would have been far too authoritative. 
and right, no. bossy. You needed somebody who was a bit kind of spineless for the Father Malone role, you know, because you can only have one alpha, <laughs> and that's Tom Atkins. <laughs> That's so true. Now, and I mean, and yeah, Hal Hardbrook also kind of has that that natural sort of presence uh, and look about him of being kind of like like a kindly kind of like old man that yeah. lives in a small American town that you know you could see him being uh, totally. He just even looks physically like a priest that would be in that town. Where and Christopher, Christopher Lee wouldn't wouldn't have hidden in the church oh, drinking. No. You know, he would have been in the fucking jeep, wouldn't he? <laughs> Sorting it all out. You just know that's just not. I wanted to go. I wanted to go back to something you said actually about the film being beautiful because when I first saw it on video and it was a rental, like you said, my mum was massively into horror as well, so I was quite fortunate. Um, we when I first saw it in the video version, it was I don't know if it was pan and scanned, but the ratio was a lot different. So it was only years, and I you know, and then I saw it on TV, and I had my own video of it, and I think the DVD was a bit crappy. So it was only when it came onto Blu-ray, and I saw it the full you know I don't know it's, it's is it in wide it's not in widescreen is it but it's. Uh, you know, just the full extent of the shots, the beautiful cinematography, so much in that frame that you wasn't on the video. It just wasn't there. So I knew it was like a beautiful film, but not when I saw it on Blue Hour, I was just like, whoa. <laughs> oh. You know, the whole location of the island and the, the sea and the lighthouse and everything, and some of the shots... Like when they're going down, she's going down to the lighthouse down the stairs. You get that big wide shot of the ocean. And I was just absolutely blown away because I never got to see it on the big screen. Um, You know, it was always a video treat for us. And I've still never seen it on the big screen, which is sad. Oh, God, I would love to see it. Yeah, I haven't seen it theatrically either. But, yeah, no, the Blu-ray, which I know the Blu-ray I have was put out by... uh, Scream Factory, aka Shout Factory, and um, and it's a beautiful job though. Please, please, you guys just use original artwork for the covers. Good lord, yeah. Some, oh, <laughs> the one, the artwork they did for Vice Squad, the Wings Hauser film. Holy <laughs> shit, it's terrible. It's just terrible. It's like you just made Wings Hauser look like he has googly eyes. Like, <laughs> come on, guys. Like, come on, it's Wings Hauser. How could you do that to him? But um, but no, the restoration is is oh, yeah. it's just, it was absolute revelation to me to see it like that because after seeing it kind of you know in this little box basically, which cuts out half the brain, you just don't see because it's like there's just so much attention to atmosphere and using the landscape. Same with Halloween, you know, the whole reason Halloween is so amazing is because of those shots of the leaves on the ground and the neighborhood and you know it's just amazing and uh you know with this it's all about this coastal town which I've got a bit of a thing for coastal things and nautical things it's a bit of a fetish of mine anyway (laughs) (laughs) uh well it's you know it's automatic atmosphere you know I think about things um 
I remember like as a teenager seeing uh, old reruns of Dark Shadows, like the the nineteen sixties like horror gothic soap opera, and those opening credits always have like the the coastline and this imposing house, and you see shots like that. I mean, that's kind of like a classic image I think in horror. It's just like the castle or the old house, and they're near the rocks and the waves crashing, and it's just something like so ominous but gorgeous and just completely enriching to look at. Of course, the other thing he does with that as well is manages to do that, create that atmosphere and tension. The scene we were talking about with the tape recorder before it even goes dark. So he brings that and he does it in Halloween as well. He, like, you know, still manages to get this, you know, with the use of a tape recorder or whatever in a in a perfectly, you know, bright situation where she's just there going about her day. I think, to me, that was what made it more terrifying as a kid, the fact that it was a daylight thing and you're uh, not expecting that to happen. You're, you know, you're waiting for, the, for it to become dark and the fog to come and you're totally relaxed because she's just there doing her thing and then he just bang <laughs> with this very simple thing <clears throat> you know uh, six <clears throat> must die <laughs> oh goodness well and you know um this isn't necessarily tied to that scene but i do have to point out it for our theme uh, that Jamie Lee Curtis, her character, sticks around even after he has discovered the body of one of his seafaring friends. And she's like, no, I'll stick around. Like, he even's like, maybe you should go to Vancouver. And she's like, no, I want to stick around. And say it with me. You know why she's sticking around. Because <laughs> the dick is that good. <laughs> the dick is that good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because who else? You know, you think about it feasibly. Anybody else would have been like, ooh, shit's getting weird. Maybe I need to go. <laughs> like, yeah, but he's got the whole Jeep as well. Where he drives that Jeep around. He's kind of like, you know, Jeepy. <laughs> I think it was uh, Adrian Barber actually brought him on board for this film, which is, which is brilliant because... I can't imagine another Nick Castle that would be... I mean, there were other people, obviously, but I don't know. I think you look at that role now and you think it was made for Tom Atkins, especially because he then, like, turns up in things like Halloween 3 and then he was in um, Escape from New York as well with Carpenter. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, this is interesting, too, because it's actually... he is He does not have the stash in this, but... He is so, old, like, Ubermensch-like. Ubermenschy? I will say that. I'm sorry <laughs> to all of our German listeners. And to give him a chance, though, you know, because if he'd gone all Halloween, with the Halloween 3 rough and ready look, you know, it might have been too much for the public uh, yeah, to build up to that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and I think one of the, the superpowers of Tom Atkins is... He's able, you know, with all of his roles, and you see that here too, is, um, and that especially, is he's able to adequately, yeah, he can be that kind of like, like super masculine, just all American, kind of rough and tumble guy, but also portray fear and portray sensitivity in a way that doesn't feel like it's a conflict with those, because I think there are actors that are really. Well, he's, not a sh he's not a shithead, is he? Like, even Nick Castle is not a shithead. No, he, no. You know, he's he gets his 
hitchhikers into bed, but he's not a shithead. He offered to buy her art. I mean, (laughs) he offered to buy her art for crying out loud. And and checked on his buddies. I mean, yeah, he's a good, just kind of a good, solid dude. And, you know, and that's the thing. It's like a lot of the people in the community, it seems like a nice community, um, which makes the, you know, all the surroundings even more kind of fascinating because it's like, well, there's these, you know, these nice people just living their lives, but, you know, they're living in a town that was built on innocent blood. And, uh, you know, having to pay kind of for the sins of the, literally of the father, in this case. On the death of, living on the spoils of the death of a leper colony. (laughs) It's wonderful. It's so good. It's, and it's, and it's fascinating because as we, you know, even though Tom Atkins is kind of like, you know, he is our Tom, our our masculine macho king, uh, in all three of these films, each role is very different in a lot of ways too. Yeah. And he and he brings all of those elements, I think, pretty su- superbly. Um, and you know, we got to move on to Halloween three because come on, you know, I, I know I was <laughs> waiting for that because you know he's so different in Halloween three. So Halloween three, which most people would have seen, season of the witch, is the punk rock sibling of halloween or cousin or whatever it's it's become so popular in recent years and i'm wondering if that was because like you said screen factory or shout factory put it out on blu-ray because for many many years it was kind of frowned on uh when it came especially when it came out because there was no michael myers it was like a completely different story and now i just see a lot of people who absolutely love the film which is great but i just think where were you all those years when i was the freak flying you know on my own where were you why didn't you come to me and tell me (laughs) that i wasn't mad they did course that whole this is not the franchise you know uh directed by tommy lee wallace but produced by deborah deborah hill and john carpenter and uh, and it was always a thing with John Carpenter that Halloween was never supposed to be a franchise in that it would be the Michael Myers franchise. There was also the idea that they would have this, like, um, different Halloween-based theme with every film, which I actually love, because when you think about it, there aren't, and especially not in the 80s, a lot of films dedicated to actually halloween because you know the the halloween's like a north american thing and the first time i really heard about halloween was in 1982 when i saw et we didn't have trick-or-treat in britain you know we were aware of halloween but more as a kind of pagan halloween Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that not everyone's, you know, not everyone celebrated it and that, you know, it had that creepy edge, but not the whole commercial thing. You know, the trick or treat in and the dresser up and that that came later on and it came from America. And it's pretty much the same with the rest of Europe. You know, there was, you know, Halloween now is huge. It's very commercial. My own kids used to go out and trick or treat, but that wasn't a thing when I was a kid. You know, I was from America. So if you think about the amount of films, you know, that were made to talk about Halloween, well, there aren't actually that many, not as many as you would think, because I actually tried to do this big marathon of only Halloween-based films once. 
not as in John Carpenter's Halloween, but any like Hacker Lantern was in there. <laughs> um, I love Hacker Lantern. <laughs> um, there's not actually that many films that that centre around. So I think, you know, if they'd done this whole different Halloween story, like from back to the eighties, that would have been fucking amazing. They could have done one every year, and it would have been something different. Um, but but they didn't because these people are like Michael Myers. Oh. And I just think, I'm sorry, once we got past part two, and I've said this before, and we found out who Ben Tramer was, you know, that was enough. We didn't need Jason, not Jason, fucking Michael Myers. Well, they turned you know, him into Jason, many... you know? Like that, <laughs> They're that's... all one person, though. <laughs> yeah, oh, God. Well, and it's funny because, and this may seem probably like, a, this may seem like a hot take. And it's, I don't mean it to be, but my, my actual favorite of the Halloween series is this one. Um, I do think the first one's brilliant. I love it. Um, but to me, it's kind of like, my problem with a lot of franchise horrors is most of the ones that become franchise don't have the basis to continue as a series in a way that I think works richly. I, I like Friday the 13th. I never really got into a lot of the sequels because of that. I just thought he's an automaton. I don't, yeah. I don't enjoy seeing an automaton killing random people. Same with a lot of the Halloween films after two and three. Um, well, three obviously doesn't, <clears throat> doesn't Michael Myers and thank goodness we don't need Michael Myers. We have Connell Cochran. Exactly. I think that is what is definitely my favorite. And I think because it just seems so refreshing and different. And I saw this one quite early on as well, but not in 1982, because obviously I was still watching E.T. Um, I I can't remember when I saw it, actually. Maybe a bit old, maybe 11 or 12, maybe around that time. And, you know, I really knew Michael Myers at that point, but it was kind of like, yeah, Michael Myers. And then I saw this and it was just like, wow, this is really different. Especially because I was becoming more and more fascinated with the idea that America had Halloween and trick-or-treating and and we didn't have that stuff. And I found that particularly appealing as well because it was like a bit of a... It's why I love sororities and, and fraternities in horror as well. It's like a bit exotic. We'll be talking about that next. <laughs> you know, this like exotic world. So, you know, it just really stuck with me and it became the one film of the whole Halloween franchise that I continuously, like, every fucking year. I don't know how many times I've watched this film. I, I wouldn't even, like, I'm 45 now, so it's a lot. Sometimes more than once a year, which I'm sure there's people listening in thinking I'm nuts, but it's just, there's something about it, just the whole pagan thing, the Connell Cochran thing, the little robots and the animatronics and tom fucking atkins being yes. a shithead dad and a <laughs> you know I mean? he's such a loud <laughs> even when i watch it now after like time 60 or whatever it is i'm just still get as excited when when it starts oh well it's this film is one of those films i think that just gives you like so much of a bounty as a horror fan and for all of the things you just mentioned and you can never, uh, well, I guess everything's subjective, but I, I completely, it's one I've seen more than once too. And it's a film that you can find new things in too. Like, it's just one of those films I think that really is always worth a rewatch because it never, 
it can never really get dull. There's always so much going on. It's so richly made. Um, you've got Tom Atkins with the stash. This is the arrival oh, of the stash. He's so good as well. He's just such a Dr. Chalice. He <laughs> Do- Dr. basically, Dan. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Dan <laughs> Chalice. That's got to be a euphemism, hasn't it? God, that sounds like a porn name. I didn't even think of it. That totally sounds kind of like a porn name. Like, Isn't it? Chalice. Dr. Dan Ch- Drink from my chalice. Drink from my meat, his meat Isn't chalice. It? Ew, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh no, he, 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 he's basically this doctor. There's this the little guy at the beginning who gets away from the corporate robots, you know, because he's got the silver shamrock secret and he gets away and they kill him. And then Dr. Dan gets on the trail to, like, because he's a man of action. His kids might need to go trick-or-treating, but he has to save the fucking world. He he literally is the dude, you know. And oh. his kids are like, "Dad, Dad, please!" And you know, and and um, <clears throat> you know, his ex wife is like breaking his balls like over the phone as well. She's so you mean. Know. She's so mean to him. <laughs> I love it when she's all like. Wow, drink. She says something like drinking and doctoring doesn't seem like a good mix. Like she's all judging him because you know he likes a, he likes a drink or three, whatever. He's getting the job done, and um, he's sexually harassing all of his nurses, and they and they're fine with it. Like he, he literally. I love. He slaps Agnes, Nurse Agnes, on the ass, and he's like, "I should have married you." And and she's all like, she just laughs. She's like, "You better be careful. Like, I'll take you. You know, she's basically, like, I'll take you up on that. Like, because she knows he's the man. <laughs> I mean, he, he's a terrible father, but I mean, you know, <laughs> but he's he's, saving he's a the terrible world. father, but he is. He's saving the world. He he does a lot of driving in this as well, <laughs> again. <laughs> So okay. he kind of meet, he kind of meets up with Eddie uh, Grimbridge, who's like the daughter of the shop owner that was killed. It's played by Stacey Nalkin, and they go off to investigate this Silver Shamrock Novelties Company, which owns a whole town. And I think this is one of the things I wrote when I wrote about this, and I wrote this piece for Diabolik Magazine. Terrible, shameless plug now. Um, on why I love, just why I love Halloween 3. And I've written so many film essays over the years and, like, very serious film essays and some not so serious. And that one was just a pure love letter and it's been shared on the internet, like, about 500 times more than anything else I ever wrote, which is crazy because it's not even a long article. But I said in that that when, you know... On one hand, I'm a pagan, so I have this reverence for Samhain festival as like the the Celtic and pagan New Year, and it's like a time for renewal, and it's got all these spiritual connotations about the veil between the land and the living being at its thinnest, and you know one of the traditions is you set a place at dinner for you know someone that you miss who's passed over, and so it has a slightly more positive spin. So there's that part of me, but then there's the other part of me that's like goes into town, sees they're selling like all the Halloween crap, and I'm just like, oh my god, buy all the Halloween crap. 
So, like, like the two sides of me are, like, represented in this film. Because <laughs> it's, like, a celebration of that, but also, like, a, a satire of consumerism, which is just incredible. Just the way people consume, and it's all in these masks that are going to kill everyone. Yeah, well, and, and that's the, I think that's one of the things that keeps this film more, like, just as potent, if not more so now than it was then, because, you know consumerism and capitalism is just it's just grown exponentially since the 80s and it was big then you know and uh and the fact that like it's only three masks it's almost like there's also a statement there of like you know because to me the fun part of, of picking out a costume is you can assert like your own identity like or, or live a different identity through the costume and if like you're just wearing the same costume that all your schoolmates are well wh where's the fun in that but yeah. everyone has to have these masks and they're all in front of the television with that boo 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 You know, yeah. it's just so great. Not in a completely deliberate, in-your-face sort of, yeah, 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 we're taking the piss out of capitalism, but on a much more, you know, uh, a much more deeper level, I just think is great, you know, to have the whole villain be this, on one hand, a mad pagan, and I do, even if I am a pagan, you know, I know some religious people get upset if their religion is portrayed in a certain way. But I personally love a fucking mad pagan. I love Lord <laughs> Summerisle from the Wicker. <laughs> I do too. I love, I love, you know, I love I him so much. And, and, and Cochrane as well is just great. But he's also like a capitalist. He like owns this town where Santa Mira, where everyone's on a fucking curfew and, like, <laughs> kills off competitors and, like, you know, he's great. Oh, my God. Yeah, Dan and, oh, my God, I have tried practicing saying his last name, so I'm going to do my best. Dan O. Hurley? I, I hope that's somewhere near the ballpark. Of I think cracked. that's right. I am no good with names, but, yeah, I think it is Hurley. Yeah. He is, I mean, he's a great veteran actor. Yeah, he's done um, just so many movies and he is so perfect here. Like, I, you know, give me Connell Cochran any day over fucking Jason, you know, or Michael Myers, uh, you know, because he's just, he, he is both sinister and just like, at times, like, it's, like, warm and smiling where you could see why people would be, like, oh, because there's this constant refrain of everybody in the town of Santa Mira of, like, he saved our town and he's a great man and he's done all these amazing things, you know, and you see him smile and you could see that. But then there's that little gleam in his eye where it's, like, oh, wait, there's, there's <laughs> yeah. something so sinister. He's so good. And, uh, and I do have to comment. I'm, I'm curious about your take on the character of Ellie Greenbridge because... Uh, I have a few things. I have a few opinions. Ellie doesn't have the spunk of Stevie Wayne. She, she's a know, step down. She's, she is. <laughs> she's, and, and, from, and from Jamie Lee Curtis, who we do get a voice cameo in the film as the uh, operator, as well as the voice telling everybody their curfew, which is at 6 p.m. Like, good night. Yeah, they're crazy. They just got the crazy tramp who's kind of like hiding out, out after dark. But yeah, she's quite, uh, compared to 
uh, like we've just been talking about the fog. I mean, I would have liked to have seen Jamie Lee Curtis in that. Not that actually, you know, Stacey now can, she works in that role. And I'm just, obviously, I love this film. So, you know, I love it, even though, you know, she isn't this kind of really strong character. She's more of the traditional kind of, you know. But then Tom Atkins, because of that, gets to play the, like, hairy chest, (laughs) moustached hero. So I guess it's all for the greater good. But I, I would have liked to have seen what Jamie Lee Curtis could have done with that role. Yeah, and I definitely, I don't want to seem like I'm hating too much on Stacey Nelka because she, um, I really liked her in Alan Arkish's Get Crazy, which is a film that is absolutely begging to be, like, formally released on DVD or Blu-ray because it's a great rock and roll comedy. And, I mean, you have Lou Reed. Come on, Lou Reed's in it, people. Come on, release this film. But, um, it's uh, Ellie, uh, and I, I don't know, I mean, it probably actually can work i'm sort of torn on her before because there are times where it's like it's just like constant big eyes just yes. big eyes like what and, you know she kind of <laughs> reminds me of uh you know jessica harper in suspiria in a way i, she, I can... she's got that wide-eyed sort of apart from she's not as spunky but she's got like a lot of shots of her face kind of you know so that's basically what she does and sleeps with sleeps with Tom Atkins, obviously whilst grieving for her father, like who's died like three days before. It that's was... the power of the Tom. <laughs> you so know, they book a motel where we're going to sleep, you know, and then it's going to happen. <laughs> well, especially because at one point he does try to be a little bit of a gentleman and he's like, do you want me to sleep in the car? I could book another room. And she's like, oh, that'll look weird. And he's... And then she's like, oh, where do you want to sleep? Like that, you know? Like It's like, girl, you know, you know what you're doing. And he's like... Come on, you... you've got to say it. Yeah. The dick is that good? <laughs> the dick the is that good. The dad's just died, but you've met Tom Atkins. What do you do? You, you, uh, uh, come on. You, 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 you have to. It's sort of like initiation, you know? It, it is the ultimate fertility rite. To be with the, the Atkins, the Tom. The chalice, he, to drink chalice. from the chalice of Dan. <laughs> drink, drink from his cup. <laughs> Which runneth over. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, but then you get the this whole weird conversation where after they've had sex, he's like, wait a minute, how old are you? <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, dude, now Just you're checking. Asking. <laughs> and she's and, and 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 the telltale sign that she's like, oh, I'm older than I look, which means she's probably jailbait. Like that's <laughs> either that or she'd be like, I'm 19, like that. If she's done that, you'd also know she's jailbait. That little that little town. I had friends in junior high that you know, were, were very naughty. But, uh, got yeah. Listen, men, if a girl, if you have any doubt at all, ask for IT. <laughs> Ask for ID before you do anything, okay? <laughs> don't be creepy. Cover, you know, don't go to jail. <laughs> Ask for ID. Dr. Chalice wouldn't have minded, though, because, you know, well, plus he would have talked his way out of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it was the, they would have been like, oh, wait, it was, it was Dr. Chalice? Oh, you're fine. Uh, <laughs> it happens. Yeah, he's literally banged all of the females at the police department and, and the hospital. I mean, yeah, actually, because yeah, there's a coroner who does all these favors and she's like, Oh, you know, 
Oh my god, yeah, the coroner. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, that's going to cost you a lot of dinners. And he's like, ooh, I always love having dinner with you. And it's like, damn, he's good. Like, this man. (laughs) I think think the reason his ex-wife is so mad is because she doesn't get the D anymore. No, I know. Mine, she doesn't look like the the sort of person to appreciate, though, because she's always (laughs) angry. (laughs) (laughs) It's too good to drink. From the chalice lady. <laughs> she does. Just she let does. him be. <laughs> let him be free. He Breaking must. his balls. You know, he's doing, he's saving the world. He's being, you know, Dr. Down. Hero. <laughs> well, and you know, uh, to quote one of our favorite bands, his chalice is community property. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See, he's one of the people I don't mind sharing. You know, Marcello, I'm Marcello Mastriani. I'm always quite, like, kind of... But I know with Tom Atkins, there's more than enough to go go round, so I'm quite happy to share Tom Atkins with everyone. He, he's you know, plenty of Martello, you know, I'm a bit more kind of like, you know, too many people, no, get off. But, you know... <laughs> <laughs> I I completely understand. I've John Saxon's like that for me. But uh Oh, that's a man right there. But uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you know with Tom, you know, it's not gonna spoil. There's enough to go round everywhere. Uh, everywhere. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is that, you know, again, kind of actually speaking to the power of him as an actor. Uh, this is a role where I think could have been handled a lot differently by a different actor, like in the hands of a different actor, there would have been, I think more of a risk of, of, you know, of Dan to seem like, just like a, like an asshole, just like, Oh, this womanizer and he's a bad dad and he's sexually harassing his nurses. But in the hands of Tom Atkins, like it's just kind of makes him human and just sort of like lovable. Like, yeah, he's drinking and driving. I mean, we literally see him buy a six pack (laughs) and get in the car. They drive to Santa Mira. And the first thing almost out of his mouth, as soon as they get in the hotel room is like, slow down. I need a drink. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, he's brilliant. I think that's the thing. Even though he's flawed, you totally, even from the early, early on in the film, you're rooting for him. Uh, you know, he, he just has that kind of presence, I think. And you're right. I don't think a lot of actors could have pulled this this one off because he's still sympathetic. You know, he's a bit shitty with his kids, but you can see he's trying his best. And, you know, he's just trying to find out about this a silver shamrock because he knows some bullshit's going on. You know, so he's not perfect, but he's like, he's straight down the line and you can admire him straight off. And I just love him. I just absolutely love this character, especially him because he comes up against everyone else is so taken in by Conal Cochran. You need somebody who's really strong willed and a bit of a renegade to kind of, you know, because everyone else is just like really taken in by this. The fake shitty in smile <laughs> and his <laughs> kind of, you know, his masks I, and I, everything. I, I, the I, one part of this film that my kids did actually used to get scared at was the, the, the mask, the TV, and they put the kid in the room and played oh. the silver shamrock in it. I think because that in itself, talking of the fog sort of pushing the bar, killing a fucking kid... I mean, that is, like, the ultimate, isn't it? That's the one thing that, even now, 
horror filmmakers are kind of a little bit icky about. And they kill this fucking kid with snakes and fucking whatever, scorpions and all <coughs> these things, you know, in full view, melt the fucking kid's head. I mean, it's such a glorious thing. <laughs> Yeah, the special effects in this movie are really creative and really gross. And it's funny because, I mean, I think if you compared it to something like, well, yeah, like Brain Dead, it's not that gory. Uh, but what they do use is so effective where it's just like, ugh, like that. It's the fact that it's a fucking kid as well. And mm-hmm. he's locked in this room with his family watching this TV. And they melt the kid's head. And then the kid is lying on the floor with the head of all the creepy... Co- very, very simple, but I think, personally, a lot more shocking, I think, when I first saw it as a kid, mm-hmm. than the things that I saw in... Because you kind of, you know, by that point, I was kind of expecting people to get axes through their heads and stuff. You know, it was just part of horror film. And so you kind of expect it, and it come, you get a bit blasé about it. But that really affected me. Because it's like you don't expect them to kill the fucking kid. And it's the kid that gets the worst death. I mean, the parents just, you know, get bitten by the snakes and that. But the kid gets his fucking head melted inside a pumpkin. Mm. And in front of his parents, which in front of is his parents, even, which makes it even more ghoulish. And then I just love the whole reveal, though, where it, it's like it's not enough that this film killed a kid. The the goal of Colonel Cochran through these maps is to kill all the children. <laughs> yes. And I love it in the way, God, the way that Dan O'Harely delivers that line about, you know, it's the best. It's the best kind of prank. A prank on the children. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> And he's got that little smile on his face. Like, isn't this delightful? I'm going to basically kill all the children, including, I mean, including possibly Daniels. Because at the beginning, we see him bring, like, individual Halloween masks to his kids. And, of course, because they're little shitters. Maybe Dan isn't a bad dad. Maybe he realizes his kids have He brings in those masks. And they're like, fuck your mask. We've got the little (laughs) shamrock masks. You know, we are stupid little masks. Yeah. (laughs) Before we move on to Night of the Creeps, I just wanted to talk about Nigel Neal's involvement in this. Because uh, he wrote the original script, and I'm just saying this out loud now, actually, because I would kill to read that original script. I don't think... I've talked to my publisher, Neil Snowden, who's publishing the Hammer book I'm editing, actually did this amazing edited book, like collection of essays on Nigel Neal with loads of different writers and was in touch with his wife and, uh, you know, thinks that the there's a copy of the script. I think Kim Newman's got a copy of the script, but there's a copy of the script in his collection of papers as well. Um, I'm not sure if it's, like, widespread, but I would love, love, love to get my hands on a copy of that original script. Oh, and, and see, because I think uh, Neil was telling me, at least, I don't think the idea of Stonehenge came from Nigel Neil. I think that was put in, you know, later on. There were problems with Neil was never credited because there was problems he didn't like what they changed with it. You know, there was a bit of a kind of thing behind the scenes. But the initial concept, just the whole concept of it feels so Nigel Neil to me, in a way. This, this the the... the uh, bringing together the occult and technology because there was some of that happening in the 80s anyway but just the way it's done here in this like ancient paganism 
brings together like brought brought together with like high tech technology and television and media just the two those things coming together is just fucking brilliant and it's um you know it's the sort of thing that we see much later on then in things like i mentioned ringu earlier on you know the use of technology the use of media and things like you know haunted cell phones and things like one miss call and just all that sort of stuff but it starts in neil and things like the stone stone tape for example from 1972 so it does have that real kind of uncanny feel to it and i think that's what i love about because i'm just a real sucker for things like that oh absolutely and you know i think another thing um that I find really striking about this film is the whole, especially like with the whole town of Santa Mira is there's almost like the sense of like a surveillance state. Yeah. Uh, Cause there's cameras everywhere. There are bugs everywhere. And basically, you know, Cochrane is big brother of Santa Mira and uh, the silver shamrock is the form of big brother <laughs> in Santa Mira. Which is brilliant. I mean, there's so many themes in there, like the whole, you know, and just the way they use sci-fi and horror together as well. You've got robots, you've got the animatronic figures as well. I mean, it's just so good. Such a mishmash of different themes. And it shows that even by 1982, you know, filmmakers were starting to try and get a bit more imaginative. There's some really interesting stuff coming out in the 80s in terms of experimentation. Which is why I feel, you know, frustrated that they stopped there and it never went any further because I think there was just so much potential in this idea of an anthology. You know, we have to wait till we get to Trick or Treat to get that, <laughs> like, oh, years later. God, which is so brilliant. and But, yeah, I mean, it's too bad. And I'm kind of surprised that... It didn't, I, I, that it didn't take off, that people were just so, like, you know, especially, I think, people in charge were like, oh, there's no Michael Myers, because the 80s had so many, like, great anthology TV shows, because you had, like, yeah. Monsters and The Hitchhiker and Tales from the Crypt and Tales from the Dark Side, and, and you had, like, The Creep Show 1 and 2. I mean, over here, we had the, like, Hammer Horror TV oh, show. Oh, yes, yes. And we had Tales of the Unexpected as well, which was kind of horror and then kind of not... I mean, there was a real, real kind of, like, my whole childhood was, like, you know, a lot of stuff on the BBC. So even stuff like Ghost Stories for Christmas, for example, you know, it was it was just such a good formula, I think. And, you know, we didn't really then see that until we get to Trick or Treat, which is absolutely nothing to do with any of the people that made Halloween 3. But, you know, pick up the baton. And and do you like, you know, the next worthy thing? Because a lot of the Halloween films then tended to kind of focus around the slasher formula and stuff. So, you know, I think it was a missed opportunity. No, it, it, you know, to me, the problem is just I feel like when a franchise is revolving around just somebody who's just a killer, like, that's not scary or a killer, like an automaton. Like, somebody's just simply an automaton after a while isn't that scary. You know, it's it doesn't... Because even though this film, like Halloween 3, is dealing with, you know, some fantastical elements, there's enough there to where 
you know, you could see it. There's possibilities, whether it's the technology angle, the surveillance angle, which, I mean, especially now in the, the digital internet age, I think people are a lot more aware of and kind of worried about. Um, and there's also just this, this feeling, I think, where, you know, if you're just a regular person, you know, what, what power would you have over a big entity, you know, whether it's Silver Shamrock, whether it's, you know, maybe like your government with all the political, you know, stress going on. Um, of course, in some ways, none of that's new and some of it is new. But, uh, you know, so I think there are enough elements to me like we're Halloween 3. But there's also a, fan, a fun element, too. Like, it's just a film that kind of gives you so much to chew on without sacrificing like the fun and spirit of the holiday, too. You know, and um, I like that. It's just it's smart. And it's got a lot going on, and it's got Tom Atkins. Uh, but I... It'll be a new thing. Okay. Sounds okay, good. so I'm recording again now. Fuck's sake, what a nightmare. Um, so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have angered the... We've angered the, the gods. <laughs> the if anyone listening to this feels that we've suddenly just slipped into the Twilight Zone and we don't know where we are, that's because we don't know where we are because we're having some recording difficulties at the moment. Because um, we think the crazy pagans are after us now. <laughs> we've we, we have them. <laughs> we have Colonel Cochran, pirate zombies, and now alien slug creatures because we... We got to talk about Night of the Creeps. Oh, which talking of like that whole experimentation and the mixture of science fiction and horror and all that good stuff that was happening in the 80s, you know, because for all the formula, there was just so, I mean, because the effects were, you know, technology and effects was really taking off and effects driven films are really taking off, obviously. We didn't really talk about the effects in Halloween 3, the robots and stuff. We didn't really, you know, want to if anyone hasn't seen it spoil that that part of it but you know just so much ingenuity and stuff and I think of all the films that we've talked about Night of the Creeps has to be the one that just you know it mixes so many different things but somehow it all just feels right oh it's it is such a gem of a movie and it's uh some people have referred to it as like a comedy horror film uh which i can see there's some comedic elements to it but i think it also works as just a legitimately great like science fiction horror film with even like there's almost like some sort of like noir aspects with uh, tom atkins character in this film which makes you kind of question like why wasn't he ever used in a in an, a straight noir film right like can you imagine tom atkins just like in this like like a Philip Marlowe type, which he kind of is great. here. I mean, because he's like this really kind of haunted uh, outsider cop who's, you know, got that bit of a swagger. He's willing to break the rules. You know, he's got that whole noir thing going on in this. Uh, he's, uh, that's just the image. And I mean, because in fact, like the first introduction we get to him in this film is a dream sequence where he's on a beach in a white suit, which I've always had a theory that anytime you see like, like a guy rocking a white suit, he's either going to be the best Bond villain 
or possibly either Brian Ferry or Pete Shelley. So, <laughs> like, either way, you're gonna you you have to be the man. You have to just have the complete style and just charisma and je ne sais quoi. And Tom Atkins, of course, brings it. He's wearing shades. He's got the stash. He's drinking out of a coconut. He's surrounded by bikini babes, and just instantly like that's the man. That's the man right there. He's so good in this. I mean, he's so good in all of these films that we've been talking about. Is the kind of... I mean, just talk a little bit about the plot. And again, we are giving... I mean, this one isn't as widely seen. I know as a huge amount of fans, but it isn't as widely seen. So we will be giving spoilers for this if you haven't seen it. As I have said, it was unavailable. I mean, I didn't see this one till I was an adult because you just couldn't see it i mean it wasn't one of those films that was as easily available as halloween three or the fog which just seemed to be everywhere in the 80s um but it's kind of like a homage to old 50s sci-fi and then it's got you know influence from the evil dead in it and it's got this noir angle and then it's also like an 80s teen comedy but not laugh out loud it's just got that same guy falls in love with a girl that's out of his league and you know so 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 many things so it shouldn't work but it just does and you have this uh, this flashback where the in the 50s a spaceship lands and crashes and these little slug creatures so it's a bit like Cronenberg's shivers in a way <clears throat> riffing off that uh, these little slug creatures sort of get into a into people and they take over them but this this body's been kept in stasis is it <laughs> I'm not very good with technical um and then in the 80s it's resurrected as part of a fraternity prank and uh Got everyone gets infected. Infected. So sci-fi is a bit of a zombie film. It's like you know, and Tom Atkins is in the middle of all that, like the anchor point of hardcore manliness with these teenagers. Uh, it's uh, I should say actually, the uh, main the, like all the characters are named after. I just mentioned Cronenberg. We've got Cynthia Cronenberg, Chris Romero, Detective Landis. You've got uh, James Carpenter, like Sergeant Raimi. They, they're all named after horror directors, which I love. It's very self-aware, very tongue-in-cheek, but also fucking genuinely scary in parts. Yeah, and emotionally effective. I mean, I think one of the biggest strengths of this film, especially over a lot of the films of its of this era, is that like the characters, you know, because like you have the two kind of the two leads who are Jason Lively and Steve Marshall, and they're like these two buddies, and Steve Marshall's character is handicapped, and but he's like he's presented. It's not like I mean it's addressed, but they're friends. You know, it's like everything. Like their interactions seem authentic. The two actors are great. They have a great their chemistry together. Is just one of the best things about it. There's just a real you know, and it's not in a sentimental way as well. Like you say, it's very gen, very very genuine. And um, as you often find, and I love teen sex comedies from the eighties, which I grew up on them. Uh, but 
you know, there's just a bit more depth added in, I think. They're not just the butt end of the nerd jokes. They're actually, you know... Especially using a character who is disabled. And obviously, Jason uh, Lively, who will always, to me, be Rusty Griswold. Has <laughs> 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 to bring that in. Um, but in this, he... he kind of pulls off the the more serious parts because apart from this apart from like the creeks and and european vacation i don't think i ever saw him in anything else bless him well it's so funny you say that because um and and this is crazy because on my notes for our episode and i kept i almost kept writing rusty i swear yeah he's not rusty and it's even further ridiculous because I've actually done notes on this film before because um, there was an episode of the Projection Booth on Night of the Creeps uh, that I was I was very lucky enough to be on. Thank you, Mike White. We love you. And everybody should listen to the Projection Booth after they listen to us, of course. But um, but uh, but these two actors, yeah, their interactions are just so natural. And even like the, the love interest, uh, Cynthia, like she, she's great because she kind of she's she's not a dummy. She's not just some vapid, pretty girl that's just this cardboard object of affection. Like you really like her too. Like she's really likable. She's not she's not a weenie. She definitely is like willing to take action when push comes to shove. And I think that's refreshing. Cause I think a lot of times like the female object of affection roles in teen films, uh, especially the eighties, are usually. It kind of in danger of just being just almost like you know like a beer commercial it has all the depth of a beer commercial yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so that was you know the writing in this film is so smart and and then of course you got tom atkins who this is my favorite role of his out of the three like uh because i don't know if it's just because like i'm such a sucker for like noir type characters um because i mean even even his like his home looks kind of like the home of a, somebody who's like a grizzled veteran yeah. detective who's just living off of like, and I tried to see, they have the label face away, but I've ascertained that the whiskey is either, it's definitely whiskey, is either Jack Daniels or Evan Williams. And he's got a pack of Lucky Strikes. Like, oh, it's so good. And he's got all these old detective magazines around and it's just, uh, you know, he's totally got like some dog-eared paperback copy of like, you know, Kiss Me Deadly or something. And, um, and he's, and he's so good and he's so quippy. Like he keeps referring to the two kids as Alfalfa and Spanky. I mean, he's got some great lines in this, like, girl, she dates her here. (laughs) Some of his lines are great, but the, for the comedy that there is, and there did seem to be like a bit of a resurgence to eight, uh, 50s nostalgia in the 80s. Uh, and you had that turn up in sort of mishmash horror films and even people like fucking Shaking Stevens. So it was like this weird 50s revival. So it's kind of homaging on that because uh, originally Tom Atkins' character had been at the original scene of the, you know, the where the spaceship had had crashed and he caught this guy who'd been infected about to kill this woman with an axe so he's traumatized because of that he like thinks back to the fact that he couldn't save her and i think that's a great kind of wraparound thing to bring it all together but the actual homage bits because it does kind of take the piss you've got the shower scenes and some of it's so over the top it's obviously very tongue-in-cheek 
But it's done with a lot of love for cinema, a lot of love for the genres that is is taking off. Um, I just think it's really directed and written actually by Fred Decker, who wrote House. And I just think it it's just everything about it works and not in a way I mean I talked about Scream earlier. The one thing I cannot stand about that film is it's too much of a, a kind of snidey nudge nudge wink wink at the genre. Um so it's it became at the time a bit of a fuck you uh to to people who've grown up on those films. I mean we're saying slashes are formulaic and it kind of it kind of set out to destroy that, but it was something about it that was just too smart and for its own to uh, for its own good. Too much of a bit like Chandler Bing from Fucking Friends, and but this, <laughs> this you know, and and then just a bit cynical, and there's no cynicism in this whatsoever. I mean, there's just all I see is a lot of love, and like Heather said, incredibly well written as well. Oh, uh, it's uh, yeah, because there's a there's a scene, and this is the spoiler. Which, it, as Kat said, if you haven't seen this film, we will not judge you on it, but we will judge you if you haven't seen Halloween three. So yeah, just just to make that clear. <laughs> but uh, but there's a scene where basically like JC gets a he gets infected and he leaves an audio tape for Chris and he's like, I love you. And it's so haunting, especially because oh, his it's... voice, his voice sounds kind of like affected. Like you tell he's already being taken over and depressed and because his whole thing is he just jokes all the time. And, um, you know, he's just sort of makes a joke and he's a bit of a smart mouth. And Chris is like, why are you always joking? Why don't you take anything so seriously? And he kind of gives him this speech about, well, you know, I'm you're my friend and I'm just want to see you happy. Um, and then later on to hear him on that tape where he's kind of just sounds really depressed. I think that is one of my favourite f- scenes in the film because it's just so t- like genuinely touching because you really feel like, you know, this is a genuine friendship. Yeah, it's it's touching and disturbing and which is like a hard that's a very hard combo I think to get in a, you know in any film. I mean it's hard enough for I think most films to be either touching or disturbing. So to get that combination's real special. And does and, it within a way that doesn't become overly sentimental as well, which is great. So I think mm-hmm. it's such a difficult line to straddle. And the same with the comedy and the horror when you get the horror, some of the horror is genuinely really genuine like there's a scene actually with jc again where he's trapped in a toilet cubicle and these slugs are outside and he's trying to get this box of matches it's genuine there's so much tension in that scene because you one needs to reach out and these things and, and you know you're like just get the you know it just really so you know and it's funny it's funny when it's scary it's scary which is you know it's difficult I think some, especially the later ones, some of these kind of homage things, they go too over the fucking top and you're just like, no, it doesn't work. Um, it just becomes too much of a parody almost. But this, no, absolutely. But soundtrack, can we talk about the soundtracks? It's got all this 50s music. I'm no, I'm no, um, I'm absolutely no expert on 50s music. But one thing I love about it is it keeps, the one theme that keeps running through it is the 50s music. 
the, the um, piece, which I love. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm no expert on it, but I just like it in films for some reason. Well, especially, I think, with 80s horror films, because another film that comes to mind that has a really... <clears throat> excuse me, like a really great 50s based uh, score is Blood Diner, which is one of my favorite films of all time. And that is that is a horror comedy that is definitely more comedy. <laughs> Probably it's not scary, but it's awesome. Uh, and basically, if any of you don't know about it, it's uh, it was originally planned to be a sequel to Herschel Gordon Lewis's Blood Feast. Uh, which ended up not being, but it's it's pretty much kind of like a spiritual, I would say, successor to it. But the whole film's got all these great kind of rare, like, doo-wop songs throughout yeah, most of it. Yeah, it's doo-wop. That's what I said. I say 50s, but it's doo-wop. It's like rock and roll. And it, you hear it constantly throughout the first part of the film where they're in the 50s. But then later on, you hear a couple of other 50s numbers as well, which keeps the theme going. And I just, I thought that was a really nice little touch. Oh, uh, it's yeah. Well, and the the juxtaposition too. I think with having kind of like modern times, but with like older music, uh, was kind of cool. In some ways, it almost gives the film like weirdly enough. I feel like that that's a less dated move than to have music of the time period. Yeah. You know? Even though there's some good songs, because there is, uh, you do hear a little bit of Stan Ridgeway drive. She said in there, and I love Stan Ridgeway for all of you uh, all quite of you fans. There's quite a lot of music in the film, isn't there? There's quite a lot of music. It's a uh, the music mu- musical film. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's so good. And actually, speaking of music, because you mentioned the the bathroom scene, this has this to me is perhaps one of the most haunting things about this film about Night of the Creeps, and that is the graffiti on the bathroom stall that says "Striper Rules." What kind of madman? Say <laughs> I'm, I'm just it's just come on of all the metal bands of the 80s like serious i mean granted i'd rather still see striper promoted on that bathroom wall than bon jovi but come on like striper really like you couldn't get kicks or helix or merciful fate come on i'm the only person in the world that would put merciful fate next to kicks by the way <laughs> I love them both, though. See, I've never yeah. even mentioned. I've never even noticed that graffiti. That's just so you. <laughs> I know it's bothered me for year for debt for like at least fifteen years or whatever. You know, it's, it's I'm like striper. Like really? Like what? The guys that dress like bumblebees and sing about Jesus. Like how is that metal? That metal's the devil's music. Come on, you leave it to Satan. <laughs> This is where our recording's going to get even more messed up. <laughs> We're angering pagan, pagan and Judeo-Christian gods now. We're just going to anger all of them. Anger but, all the Satans. Uh, uh, you got the, whole, <laughs> the, the, the whole fraternity. I talked about my fetish for Halloween, but the whole fraternity thing in this as well, which I love. I just love to see in horror films because when I first started to see these films, not this one in particular because this was a, a later find, but... And just in general, you know, through the 80s and the 90s, these, like, sorority and fraternity-based horrors, you know, it just seems so exotic to me to have these, like, whole little weird rituals. Because we just... Well, private schools have weird shit going on, but the public don't know about it. But generally, you know, we don't have fraternity houses, we don't have sororities, we don't have those weird, sadistic, like 
you know, you can join our gang rituals. And so I always find it really interesting when it's in films, like, like a weird little fetish for it. And they even, like, cram that into this, in a way, because they're trying to join this this fraternity house so he can impress Cynthia and win her love. And that all goes aside. The, the thing that I love about that is, though, that the quote-unquote nerds do not allow themselves to be bullied or humiliated by the frat boys. It doesn't work, and they're like, well, we just don't want to join now, and they walk away. Because, like, in a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the 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 more riotous versions of, of this type of thing, <laughs> you generally see a lot of humiliation and a lot of sadistic behaviour, and these two guys, they don't stand for it which is great considering you're dealing with a, with a disabled character as well who isn't made the butt end of someone's joke which is wonderful uh well and especially i love the fact that like cynthia actually stands up to like her boyfriend who yeah. becomes her ex-boyfriend who is totally to me like a clone of william zabka who was the most awesome of the 80s villains of the fraternity films, I should say, because obviously Colonel Cochran's going to give him a run for his money. But <laughs> but Zabka, I call we him get the fraternities after us next. <laughs> I know all of it. We're gonna we're gonna it's gonna be like a Frankenstein movie where we're like having to run from all the villagers with por- like torches and pitchforks. But um, and I'm sure Stacy Milken's going to be there too. I'm Girl, probably I love you. All- They've probably pissed all the Scream fans off and the Halloween fans off and you've missed the Jason fans off. We should just change the name of this podcast to Problematic because that's probably what people think we are. And we're damn proud of it, okay? Life is hard. Life is problematic. We're just toughening y'all up. That's... That's all. We're getting tough too because we're we're being haunted apparently <laughs> by various entities, but but not Tom Atkins. What what's up with that cat? We, Sorry, we've done all this dedication to Tom Atkins, and yet we're we're getting haunted by everybody but the Atkins. If he was here, he would save us though. He'd, he'd, he'd... steam in in a jeep with a bottle of whiskey <laughs> and a and a rifle, you know, with a ex wife probably screaming at him. And he'd just take us away, is what he'd do. Because even in this, he is the hard... Like, he's vulnerable, and he's haunted by this terrible thing. And at one point, <clears throat> spoiler, he looks like he's about to commit suicide because he just can't... He just can't cope with what's happening and the fact that he keeps remembering this girl that he couldn't save. So he has that vulnerability, but then he's also a fucking hard-ass. Like, he just finds out how to kill the things, thanks to JC. <clears throat> Goes in, gets a fucking flamethrower from Dick Miller. <laughs> Which <laughs> is mentioned. awesome. Like, in Dick <laughs> Miller's in it. Any time Dick Miller shows up, you know, you're in a good place. Oh, it's I love him. Like, he's, and, like, he's like everybody's uncle. He is. Uh, issuing flamethrowers but he's just like you know if you got like from the police weapons department why i did always wonder why they would have flamethrowers in there but (laughs) (laughs) and he's like if you got a you know a docket for this and he's like nope and just threatens him with his gun like you're gonna give me this fucking (laughs) flamethrower and of course he gets the flamethrower which is even 
Which is even better. He doesn't and, uh, get any of the sorority girls into bed, though. Yeah, there is actually, this is a sexless film compared to the other two. He does not get any trim, uh, but he should have, because come on, he's amazing. I it would have been a different movie, though. I it mean, would have been a it, different movie. He has to be all kind of, like, isolated and edgy and, like, the sort of man who doesn't get close to people for it to work. But, yeah, all those women around, and they just are completely unaffected by the presence of Tom Atkins. That's one of the unbelievable things about the film. That's one of the... <laughs> <laughs> that you know, is when he goes to the sorority house, that bit just, you know, I can roll with the slugs and the state spacecraft and all that, but the fact they don't all flock to him when he goes into the sorority house, they kind of scream and run away. You know, that part I can't buy. Well, probably because, like, if we were in that film, it's like, who are these two weird, like, punk rock, goth, pagan girls? We would have been allowed in the sorority house. We'd be having our own party down the road with, you know, like the animal house. (laughs) (laughs) We we would we would have the better of the music though. Yeah, we would have the best music. And uh, yeah, now I kind of want like a deleted scene where he's making out with the house mother while she's watching Plan Nine from outer space. And he's like, thrill me. <laughs> thrill me. I mean, oh. he's so weirdly, though, because he's not objectified in this. <laughs> he, um, weirdly, though, he's he's even more manly without the obvious sexual props. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, because this is like the manliest, I would say, yeah. of the three roles. And the closest we get is he does always have a button... One button undone that shouldn't probably be undone. Trish, because they're 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 in. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's less sexy and more just like it's a statement on just like you know he's he's living a pretty rugged life, and uh, you know you're just lucky if you get him. He's too busy solving crime to do his buttons up. That's right. It's not so much a teasing thing like, hey, ladies. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't really do the hey, lady. Well, and his inter- introduction, he kind of is like in the ultimate hey, ladies, though, isn't it? <laughs> when you first see him on that beach. <laughs> With all those, I know. In fact, he kind of looks like he's on the set of the Beastie Boys, hey, ladies, video. Yeah. <laughs> he does. But, uh... <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, this... This movie's so good, though. And I actually think it's my favorite Fred Decker film. I know, I mean, no offense to House or Monster Squad. I think Night of the Creeps is just... I, I would actually... Of the three films, I love all of them, and I think they're all brilliant. I think I've, this is the one I've watched the most, actually. No, I'd like, agree. It's definitely my favorite out of those. And I do really like the others as well. There's just something about Night of the Creeps. I don't know. I don't, I'm not quite sure what it is. Just, the, I guess, the combination of the smart one-liners and the really horrific parts. And I don't know. Something oh, about God. it that's just kind of... <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I realised I, I neglected to mention... You've mentioned one-liners. There is a line in Halloween 3 that's uh, actually not by Atkins or Cochran, but there is a reference to Cochran's past gags, including the dead dwarf and the soft chainsaw. <laughs> time. What's famous? You really don't know. Connell Cochran, the all-time genius of the practical joke. 
He invented sticky toilet paper. Oh. Oh, you must know. The dead dwarf gag, the soft chainsaw, all his. No, gee, I didn't know that. And before and I don't. <laughs> I'm, now, people didn't realize this guy was evil. <laughs> like, what kind of prank is that? We got dog doo, we got whoopee cushions, and we got a dead dwarf and a soft chainsaw. What the fuck? <laughs> Who puts a dead dwarf? Like, why would you do that? <laughs> unless you're, unless you're Colonel Cochran. But everybody, oh, he's such a sweet man. Like, oh, he's lovely. I love his dead dwarf. Dead dwarf is just so cute. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yes, and uh, if Tom Atkins was shorter, he would be the sex dwarf in Halloween Three. <laughs> and, but I'm sorry, that's a little okay. soft sell reference for all you lovelies out there. But uh, that in seriousness, God, there's there's actually so much like quippiness actually in both films in both Halloween 3 and Night of the Creeps but in Night of the Creeps we get like the prime sarcasm element yeah which I really which I, I, which really, I love. really need I just think he's built for sarcasm Tom Atkins can get away with it and not be a shithead He's oh just... God. I, I, when he gets that call and the guy's like is this detective Cameron and you're like no bozo the clown <laughs> <laughs> it always makes me laugh. I'm like, you're the man. Look at you drinking your whiskey, smoking your lucky strikes. <laughs> so to kind of sem, because I know we haven't totally stuck to Tom Atkins, but it's kind of semming up, I guess, at the end. I think. I mean, we've talked about this between ourselves, but the facts that you know, Tom Atkins is so. And I know Heather's touched on it at the beginning of this episode. I mean, Tom Atkins is so special because he's kind of a last of a, a breed that we don't... I mean, we were talking about this amongst ourselves earlier and trying to think, you know, what would the equivalent be today in terms of... And we just don't seem to have that type of actor. This, You know, they died in the 80s. They just left and we were replaced with people like Tom Cruise. We both agree Tom Cruise is exceptionally sexually perverse in Interview with a Vampire. Give him that. The rest of the time he's just a smug cunt. <laughs> and, you know, and I love Brad Pitt in Interview with a Vampire. I fell in love with Brad Pitt. Quite like him in Fight Club as well. But he's... You know, there's just something about the the stars that we have now. Jude fucking Law. I mean, come on. <laughs> Jude fucking Law replaced Michael Caine in the remake Ugh. of that. Like, just what? 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 What is this? Michael Caine. Jude fucking Law. He looks like a public school boy. He's just, you know, <clears throat> little shiny public school. We, we just don't have the likes of... I'm sure somebody will, like, write in and with all these action stars that I've never heard of now. <laughs> but they're too shaven, I think. They're too fucking shaven and moisturised and kind of... Even the ones who were supposed to be a bit... Re Here's a good example. The other night, <clears throat> against my best judgement, I finally watched the remake of The Beguiled. Went into it with an open mind because I love the Virgin Suicides, and I thought, you know, maybe could do something with the teen sex angle here, like they did in Virgin Suicides. I adore the original for Beguiled. So we have Colin fucking Farrell as Clint Eastwood. No, no, no. Like, Clint Eastwood was dangerous. He was, like, 
it had this weird, like, little sexy, sadistic air. She's got that fuck you face. He's just like, oh, you know, and it was just really edgy and dangerous and just the original. Colin Farrell was like apathetic, boring man lying in a bed. I just think, I watched the thing, you know, the whole thing. I just thought, what, you know, what? What, what was that? You can see why they were all wanting Clint. And this is what we have now. I'm sorry, I'm on a huge rant now, but... <laughs> it was your idea to talk about this, Heather. I didn't realise I felt so deeply about it. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it. I am loving it. And I'll tell you why, because... And I don't... Not to bag on Colin Farrell, because I've seen him in other things and thought he was good. But the Fright Night remake... You are, what is it with Colin Farrell being in remakes? That's, that's, you know, maybe there's something there. Because the original Fright Night, which is a stone-cold classic, one of my favorite horror films, one of my favorite vampire films, you know, in the original you have Chris Sarandon as Jerry Dandridge, who's, like, the main vampire. And Chris Sarandon has, like, this dark sexuality about him. Like, he's that- very... He's very, it's like what you're talking about, Clint Eastwood. He's got that that mix of like just very like sexual and oh, charismatic, but I also say, scary. Can I just say that the dance scene in Fright Night, not to scare this, uh, not to ruin this for anyone if you haven't seen the original Fright Night, but then again, who are you? Um, but look <laughs> it up on YouTube, like dance scene, Fright Night 1985. That dance scene in Fright is is full-on one of the sexiest fucking things in any film it from the 80s and they're wearing knitwear in it and it's just <laughs> do you know what i mean though <laughs> i i do and it's no i mean that you know especially seeing that film at a young age that definitely you know was a, a key <laughs> <laughs> a, key, a key film probably probably led to an early puberty who knows but uh but no i mean yeah that, that's but he has that danger too and there and that film is so smart because there's a scene in the club after that after the dance scene where one of the bodyguards actually like says something to, to jerry dandridge about like why are you in here chasing chicken which chicken is like usually reference to people chasing like underage like teenagers, like young teenagers. And I'm like, oh, like that makes it so creepy. And well, it's it an is, easy it's thing like to creep, miss. It's like creepy, it's like dangerous, but it's also seriously flat out one of the sexiest moments from all of 80s cinema. I don't, and, and it's just, oh, the chemistry in that scene is just like, you know, when I want to pet me up, I go and watch that scene occasionally. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's great for pepping. I mean, and the, and you're right. The chemistry between him and Amanda Burrs, which is even more oh. fascinating because Amanda Burrs is lesbian in real life. But I mean, that's like the power of the Sarandon. Maybe that should yeah. be our next episode. The power, <laughs> the power of the Sarandon. But um, he's so yeah, the he dick legit, is that is, good. <laughs> He's, yes, the vampire dick is that good. <laughs> um, he's amazing in that. He's brilliant. And it's just a great movie. It's just, as a whole, just a great movie. And then the remake, uh, which I, 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 like you, I tried to go into open-minded. Um, I've had my doubts. I do love David Tennant. Um, and he was the only good thing in that movie. The remake is terrible. and uh, But they have Colin Farrell? He looks no. like a fucking Monchichi in that movie. Like, <laughs> like sexy, my ass. Like, Jesus. And what they did to Evil Ed, 
I've never now. seen the no. remake, so I couldn't Don't. bring myself. Like, Fright Night, the original is quite a sacred film to me. And Same. I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it to myself because I knew. I just knew. You can't just. Oh, no. Um, I mean, Colin Farrell, he can be good. He's put in Bruges, I loved. I like that killing the sacred deer. I thought it was amazing in that. But he's just. I don't know. Yeah, stick him in the remakes as a lesser. I think once you put him head to head with the competition, then you see that Colin Farrell's just. He's no Clint Eastwood or Chris no. Landon, is it? <laughs> oh, my God, no, no. He, of all the actors, like, and, and you know, again, like we said, like, he's fine in other roles, but, like, you have to get an actor that has, like, a like just this very charismatic, edgy masculinity that is both attractive but also can be very assertive to a point of kind of scary to kind of not in a good healthy way you need somebody that can bring that and we just don't have I mean there's probably some small exceptions but you know that breed is dying like we even have like a small list in our notes and it's like yeah I mean like Charles Bronson Sterling Hayden the Saxon or as I call him, John motherfucking Saxon, because he's that much of a man. <laughs> you know, Lee Marvin, Franco Nero, for crying out loud. Rip Torn, Mickey Rourke. Like, you'd look at Mickey Rourke in the 80s, like, especially in Barfly. Oh, which... oh, an Angel Heart. Oh, yes. Just, oh, yeah. Angel Heart, Mickey Rourke. That was a, that was a transformative puberty experience. <laughs> 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 I mean, I... <laughs> I've, I've actually I think I've like worried some of my friends because I'm like Barfly he's so sexy Barfly and they're like what is wrong with you <laughs> and I'm like nothing okay 80s Mickey Rourke and, and you know what Mickey Rourke now like yeah he's older whatever he's still a great actor and he's still a badass and he loves small dogs this is a man that if you look at his Instagram <laughs> is like 80% tiny dogs and then the rest of it's like him working out it's amazing it's like abs and chihuahuas <laughs> Which really should be the name of another podcast. Somebody it it should, won't be ours. It? Abs and chihuahuas. <laughs> Abs and chihuahuas. Like he literally was doing crunches with a chihuahua on his. <laughs> <laughs> it's so. But I, I digress. But yeah, I mean, we just you know I think the problem is just there's like to me what I call like the blandification <clears throat> of leading actors in mainstream film. Well, yeah, this is good. A... I totally agree. This is going to sound really ignorant for somebody who works as a quote-unquote film critic in some capacity. <clears throat> Although, admittedly, my focus is usually towards more older films. So I'm not going to say I'm any huge expert on contemporary film because I'm not. You know, my interest is elsewhere. But I was thinking about this recently in terms of, like, kind of film icons like real stars you know the you know the high caliber type i think that seemed to stop with that generation of brad pitt uh christian slater tom cruise you know because everyone who's come after that i find most of them like indistinguishable i look at these actors now and i just think who the fuck are they like, they all look like the same person. I don't know if that's just me. And I was like, oh, I love so-and-so. And I'm just thinking, who... Like, they just all seem to have just meshed into kind of one very clean... Ca they're too clean. They're not hairy enough. 
They're too clean. They're kind of too polite. <laughs> I no, I agree because I'm, I'm trying to think of like the '80s, like what '80s actors that were presented as kind of quote heartthrobs that I would personally find interesting. And the first one that came to my mind is James Spader, because I think Spader was like an exception. Oh, Spader, yeah, he was a Spader, yeah. Spader's yeah, he, exception. Oof. He's 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 interested. He's got a look, Spader. Like you knew you would. Know, he knows things, <laughs> very mm. evil things. He's just got that look. But, I, I'm a fan of those evil things that I'm Yeah, <laughs> he's just got that fucking look. But I think the perfect case in point is if you look at a 70s and 80s James Bond, I know as a feminist I'm supposed to absolutely hate James Bond because he's such a, such a you know, a, a misogynist, terrible male fantasy. You know, but I grew up on J- James Bond and in fact, some of the very early fiction that I wrote was a James Bond ripoff called Wimbledon Hartley. For some of that was the name I came up with. It. Yeah, I was like these little stories, and they were like James Bond. Roger Moore was my James Bond. So if you look at that, you know Sean Connery and Roger Moore, are the you know the sixties, seventies, eighties James Bond, Daniel fucking Craig. Um, you know, they don't even have good Bond. I, I stopped watching Bond on Pierce Brosnan, actually. That's where I drew, drew the line. So this is where we are. And I think, I mean, it's like, do we not need sort of threatening, slightly edgy men anymore? Because I think we do. I agree. I think the only, like, and again, I'm... I'm pretty much in the same boat too as far as like yeah i am by no means anywhere even close to being an expert on mainstream cinema if 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 anything i'm very undereducated on it um and i admit it but um like i think idris elba's got potential like he's great and i think he's got kind of um he's got that intensity but i mean but for every idris elba yeah i mean we got poor colin farrell (laughs) stinking it up in the remake you know, it's like and, people go and, absolutely berserk over Tom Hardy, and um, I really liked him in Weathering Heights actually. But they go absolutely but like, oh my god, it's Tom Hardy! But it's just like, no, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we're just getting old. I don't know, but I just feel like you're right. It's like a blandification, but we're seeing it with with a lot of the female so called stars as well. There's definitely some sort of you know, like Nicole Kidman is an absolutely brilliant actress, but in The Beguiled, she was just like a nothing. It was just so black. It was like they took everything that was dangerous and sexy in the original, but was also a bit uncomfortable, you know, because it deals with some very close to the knuckle themes very mm-hmm. well. Um, you know, too scared to touch all that, so it was all removed. And it just didn't work. It looked beautiful. I would give it that. It looked absolutely beautiful. But that was it. I was bored. You should never be bored watching something with a story like The Beguiled. No. No, that's that's troubling. <laughs> that is that is very troubling. And I don't even know how. But God, you, you know, yeah, you think about... Clint Eastwood, I think, got another, like, a name I love, Rip Torn, who we just lost not too long ago. Like, you see Rip Torn in, uh, like, something like Payday, or my, what I think is his sexiest moment as the Norman Mailer film Maidstone, where he for real attacks Norman Mailer with a hammer. 
Norman Mailer was a pompous, <laughs> terrible man. Okay? I was reading about and, that recently, actually. Yes, I. Oh my God, Rip Torn is the man. You want to talk? He's got that same energy too. Like he, because he's literally like Norman Mailer's all, you know, just like <laughs> just, he's just disgusting. And 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 Rip, cool as a cucumber. It's all right, baby. Like that. Like, he's so good. He's so good. And he, like, the story is he was apparently tripping on a lot of acid, and which is so cool. Like, I just, he's such a bad boy. Like, I love him so much. And he's such a great actor. Um, also, Coming Apart's a really great movie. I need to write about that one at some point. But, but yeah, I mean, you're right. The actresses are all, like, because you think about some of the actresses in, like, the 60s and 70s, and it's like... You know, do we have the equivalent now to like a Jill Clayburgh? Yeah, you know, I don't someone. think we I don't know do. They... I mean, I, like I said, I'm no expert on modern cinema, and I'm sure there's people sat there going, <laughs> you know, but I just really don't see it anymore. Um, occasionally, I do. Like I was watching the Lizzie film last night with Chloe Savini. Now, I love Chloe Savini. Maggie Gyllenhaal, oh, I think, is absolutely great. But there just seems to be this, like, homogenization of, like, lots of women that look the same and, you know, all the Jennifer Anistons and the kind of, yeah, it's just, I don't know, kind of sad because, you know, someone like Tom Atkins wouldn't survive in that environment. He'd be too politically incorrect. (laughs) And, uh, you know, even though there's a lot of nuance to his characters and even when he's being a shit dad or, you know, a bit of a sex pest, you know, he's not a bad guy. And we just, I don't think we have anyone really that kind of has that same persona now. Yeah, and I think that's part of it's also, to me, like kind of the danger with the blandification, but also just, you know, being like, oh, every character, you know, has to be like on point. If it's a hero, they've got to be, it's almost like people are wanting to return to some extreme like version of black and white, but it's like, you know, James Bond's a great example. Cause I mean, especially in the books from what I understand, like, yeah, I mean, he's kind of, a, he's a total bastard, but he's a hero and he's compelling and he's charismatic and he's sexy. And, you know, that's the thing. That's what makes interesting characters is, is having heroes and heroines who aren't perfect, who in some ways maybe have traits that could be otherwise villainous, but yet they save the day. That is infinitely more interesting than just seeing some bland guy with perfect eyebrows. And no moustache. Uh, and no chest no mis- hair. Because no every bit of hair has been waxed away, even on his legs. They, just these Ken dolls. <laughs> with, no, with no genitals, because they don't have, like, you know. It's just so, like, no, I don't want to watch that. I don't find it, you know interesting on an intellectual level i don't find it interesting on a prurient level either you know it's uh you know come on give us something that we can chew on you know i mean and and same for the actresses i mean like who who would you rather see like barbara Steele or gwyneth paltrow you know what i mean i mean come on there's (laughs) no god fish sticks that's a nickname for her on the (laughs) internet is fish sticks and i think that's an insult to fish sticks (laughs) because like i don't want tartar sauce on her i just oh god she's so boring and i think that's the worst crime is like boring like art should never be boring artists should never be boring if you're boring then nobody's gonna listen to you and you have failed as a communicator um 
And they're and you know, just some of these people are boring. God, it's just like the guy smileys of the world, the Chads, the Chets of the world. Yes, isn't it? It's the, the, these people are just too normal. I think that's our problem with them. They're just too God. fucking normal and middle class and groomed. Um, they probably think a night of wild sex is like hey, I got a blowjob, woo! I'm I mean, if, if you could, like, you know, you the choice, hang out with Tom Cruise, you know, at some posh party where he's talking about himself and doing that annoying laugh that he does, or driving around with Nick fucking Castle in a Jeep. Oh. You know? <laughs> I think it's no contest, is it? No, not And as beautiful as Brad Pitt is, and he is a very beautiful man, you know, he strikes me as the type that, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow, he basically, what's her name? God, Angelina Jolie basically made made him into a sex toy, butler, (laughs) whatever, you know. He doesn't strike me as someone with a lot of backbone. I want to write something called Sex Toy Butler. <laughs> That's the best phrase. Jason Statham's all right. He's all, yeah, actually, I think Statham is probably, I think him and Idris Elba, I'd say, are probably the manliest of the dudes. Um, hmm. And I like both of them. Brad Pitt, I actually like him as an actor when he's playing non-attractive roles. Like, yeah, I really liked same. him. I wasn't the big, I had problems with 12 Monkeys as a whole, but I thought he was great in it. He's great in California. I love California. Uh, I love him as One Punch, Punch Mickey in Snatch. I think that's one of his best roles. Oh, he is? God, yeah, he is good in Snatch. That's an excellent... Fucking put talking to Jason Statham. Um, right. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a great actor, but he doesn't strike me as somebody who'd be kind of like, you know... He's not a Christian stater. Like, Christian stater's got that whole Jack Nicholson thing where, you know, he might kill you, he might fuck you, you just don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Agreed. I like. God, yeah, we're I love going Christian so Slater. deep on this episode. I think, I think we're giving... I'm actually very proud of what we've done here today because I feel like we've given a really good mix of insightful hopefully like you gave insightful i don't know if i gave anything insightful but hopefully i good film criticism and cultural insight but also we got slack on this show and uh life you gotta have slack life is short if you take everything too seriously then where's the fun in that you're gonna be another blandy but blanderton you're gonna be a normie don't be a normie don't do that Don't be. Don't do it. Be a Nick Castle. Don't be a Leonardo DiCaprio. Who? Oh again, God! Like, don't like, child face. Oh God! He looks like one of the children of the corn. I've He's never the same been able age find... as me, and his face just doesn't fit on an adult. I'm sorry. I never, I never got that. And he's not a, actually. He's a good actor. He's fine. It's like Brad Pitt. I don't think Brad Pitt's actually a bad actor at all. I just personally like if he's playing somebody who's attractive. Uh, I'm just instantly just kind of like because uh, I mean he's technically pretty, but I don't know. It's just like his features don't. I think people that are almost too pretty don't work. Like it has to be this mix of being like somebody can be handsome. You know, like I'd say Tom Atkins is handsome, but he's but he's like handsome in a way that's not. But he's like, edgy. He's like yeah, edgy. it's edgy, but it's also kind of like almost like with him, it's almost kind of like a working class handsomeness. Like you could yeah. see him working, you know, working up the street and be like, "Ooh, you know, there's there's Nick," <laughs> 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 and it's Jeep. <laughs> 
you know, as opposed to like, I mean, yeah, somebody who looks like Brad Pitt is probably not gonna, you know, like, yeah, he's too like perfect looking, and uh, it's just, you know, perfection's boring. It just be there doing his hair all the time and like, you know, trying to make you eat quinoa and shit. Oh God! Or he's gonna—he's probably. I bet I'm gonna say this. I could be wrong. He strikes me as the guy that when he smokes weed, he thinks he's super smart and deep all of a sudden. <laughs> And starts quoting, like, Bob Marley lyrics, and he's like, yeah, I get the struggle. And you're like, oh, God, just shh, like, don't say anything, like, just be quiet, just be pretty, shh. Yeah, we've all known people, in fact, some of us may have had friends that we we cared as a whole, but, I mean, you know, sometimes people get stoned, some people get stoned and they're cool as hell, and it's fine, it's all good. But y'all have, everybody's had that one friend where all of a sudden they think they're a philosopher, and it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Please, please, no. And then, and then, like, they're going to be like, hey, I was reading, like, Krishnamurti. I was like, oh, God, no. Shut the fuck up. Like, don't. Like, you were so much better when you were quoting, like, Dawkins. <laughs> or Dawkins. I don't know why I brought up Dawkins. <laughs> That's I who wrote Striper Rules. I quite quote Dawkins, actually. Well, you know, we're, we're, uh, <laughs> we're, we're breaking the chains that bind us. <laughs> and, and uh, that's the only my Dawkins reference pool is not that deep actually. I can I could quote Helix to filth though and Black Sabbath. <laughs> Love me some Sabbath, but uh, uh, well, I think we. Uh, is there any other like? I, I think, think we we've run out of of men to recent acting to men ogle. to emasculate and uh, you know <laughs> like the, like <laughs> the not that any of them will be listening to this. Um, I think just rounding up because we will be publishing this Halloween. So hopefully you're listening to this on Halloween or just after Halloween. Just, um, you know, what are we doing to celebrate? What are we doing? Uh, well, you mentioned Trick or Treat earlier, and I think we both have uh, agreed that that film is just, it's so beautiful. I think it's such a great Valentine to the season just visually it's sumptuous but the you know the anthology format's really smartly done it's got a great cast uh including one of my favorite character actors dylan baker uh so that film's always just kind of like a holiday standard in our household and also have wrote a piece on that film for us another shameless plug for diabolitemagazine.com well you will know that if you've got the podcast on the site <laughs> but <laughs> Yes, some good reading for the Halloween mood. Ooh, yes, yes. And I highly encourage everybody to read, if you haven't already, read Cat's piece on Halloween 3. I would actually call it probably one of the most definitive pieces I've ever read on it. I think it beautifully nails just everything that's great about that film. Um, And it it makes a delicious pairing with this episode. So, Mm. hint, hint. (laughs) So what else are you up to? As well as Trick or Treat. I shot my load on Trick or Treat. I've already watched it once this month, but I'm going to have to watch it again. Because it's just so <laughs> perfect. Can't... It's one of the only films, I'm not even joking, that the first time I saw it, um, because it was like rumoured for ages, wasn't it? And then you couldn't get a hold of it, and then they weren't going to release it, and blah, blah, blah. And I must admit, I downloaded it off the internet. Because <clears throat> I was so desperate to watch it back in whenever it came out um and it was one of the only films that i watched two times in a row back to back because i just loved it so much oh god that's so funny because that i didn't watch it back to back directly but i literally watched it later that day like because i saw it in the daytime 
and it's funny because I actually went into it. I didn't. I went into it not knowing a whole lot about it, and a friend of mine had recommended it to me. But he also had recommended to me, like, some stuff that wasn't (laughs) good. So I was like, okay, I'll watch it. And then I was floored. I was like, oh, my God, this movie is amazing. And so later that night, I... uh, I pulled it up. I think at that point it was on Netflix and I pulled it up and showed it uh, to Chuck and he loved it. And that film is uh, actually again kind of like the films we've talked about. There are things you can rewatch and see that you missed in yeah. previous. Um, and especially the way that everything like is looped. Like you'll see characters from one segment kind of pop up in the background in another. It's so beautifully done. It's I, I love that film just so much. It is. I mean, I know they're doing a they talk of a two, but it was really hard. I mean, it was hard for anyone to see because they weren't going to release it, and then they were in this whole thing, blah blah blah. But in the UK, even harder to see. And I'd heard people talking about it, so I didn't really know much about it. But I kind of knew I really wanted to see it because it was getting all this kind of. But yeah, I watched it, and then I turned it on again straight away. And I can't actually. There's very few films that that's happened over the years where I've just watched something twice in a row and that was one it's just yeah it's just so perfect so I'm gonna have to watch it again for Halloween with Halloween 3 and the fog oh I love it lent my kid into watching them with me (laughs) oh you should and you guys could carve a pumpkin (coughs) yeah we've got to do the pumpkins um, you know, he's at that age now where he's kind of in the tween stage, so not quite old enough to go to the adult stuff, but a bit too old to go to the baby stuff. Um, so I'm like, oh, we can just watch movies, and he's just like, oh, are you choosing them? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's so cute. That's yeah, and that's I think that actually is a really good for that age because you're right like that that age is so kind of weird for kids because yeah i mean you're it's kind of you know once you get to kind of the early teens you start getting kind of looks like oh you're a little too old to trick or treat yeah he's too old for that now and he's kind of you know he's in that tween so he's not old enough they do like a like a zombie kind of haunt thing here but that's more for adults because it's like live actors and stuff um so he's not quite old enough for that, which he's a bit peed about. So he's like, find me something. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm uh, like... <laughs> I, no joke. I went to a local haunt where... See, you. he needs... Someday he will be grateful that, to have you as a mom. And he probably is now. But, you know, it's it's hard with teenagers. You know, time gives you better perspective sometimes. But... I went to a haunted house that was definitely for adults and this grandmother had brought her like nine-year-old grandson and by the time we got out he made a beeline to the porno potty screaming. Oh, bless! <laughs> and it was I, I, I felt bad for like because there were times where he would literally it was almost like oh my god and I look and she was totally laughing. I was like oh my god like ma'am? <laughs> Key grandma skills there. <laughs> Live that. Oh yeah. Well, she could probably traumatize the kid. You can have him back now. <laughs> right. Like good luck sleeping tonight. Because <laughs> your kid's gonna be waking up in the middle of the night screaming, and you know not wanting to sleep in his room because he's afraid the zombies are gonna get him. So, 
So, yes. Yeah, that's the thing. My kid thinks he's all kind of bold. Mine, he, he's watched all the kind of big slashes like Friday the 13th and Halloween. And stuff. It's kind of non-plus. But I think if he had a bunch of actors covered in gore, it would be a different story. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, live, anything like live in front of you is automatically going to have like a different, obviously, texture. You don't have the safety of a, a screen, you know, no, which, is, exactly. which is why it's so exciting. So I'm like, I think but, we can wait a couple of years for that one. Yeah, yeah, that'll be good. Yeah, he he won't. He'll have less issues than that poor child that <laughs> <laughs> that I encountered. Well, Kat, I want to thank you so much for being just the best hostess in the world, and for also celebrating both Halloween, Samhain, and the glory of Tom Atkins with me. Oh, and it's been an absolute blessing to be with you again tonight, my co-pilot. And here's to more Hell's Bells. We are actually getting this thing fucking started up now. I know we've both That's been insanely busy and we've done commentaries and stuff and it's great, but we miss this this little corner of the internet where we can come and talk about sexy men with moustaches and no one's going to tell us off. <laughs> absolutely we are glad to be back and we are very excited about bringing you guys future episodes and you know we're gonna get the ship rolling and no matter of pirate zombies alien slugs or pagan madman overlords with robot men are gonna stop us 